Hello, I'm Edwina Johnson, Director of Byron Writers Festival. You're listening to the podcast How to Get Boys Reading, featuring Ben Hobson, Selena Tusitala-Marsh and Tim Rogers in conversation with Tristan Banks, recorded live at the 2018 Byron Writers Festival. For more information about the festival, please visit byronwritersfestival.com. Hi, how are you? It's interesting that we're doing boys and reading and there are almost no men here. We've, uh, yeah. Um, yes. So I wonder, I don't know, I don't know what that, what that says, but if anyone has any theories later on, then um, let me know. Um, I'd just like to introduce our illustrious panel. Um, I always think it's interesting when you have uh, uh, quite a sort of cross-section of people on a, on a panel with lots of, you know, with, with varied and different backgrounds. And um, we have Ben Hobson up the end, an English and music teacher whose first novel, To Become a Whale, is available in all good bookstores, including the festival store. Mm. And Selena Tusitala-Marsh, who is New Zealand's Poet Laureate, and she's released three collections of poetry. And uh, she recently emceed An Evening with Barack Obama. What was that? How was that? Extraordinary. Really? He is how he seems to be on media. Ah. Awesome. Did he, did he uh, uh, share any poetry? I imagine he's a, a poet. He, uh, he reads it. Right. And, yeah, and m- most importantly, he read mine. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and did you, did you share that on Instagram widely? Or? I wasn't allowed to. Oh, so okay. I'm not allowed to disseminate the digital image of us, but I've got it on my phone so you can come up later and have okay. a look. <laughs> oh, that's very good. That would be the best ad for a book ever. It's um, amazing. Yeah. And he's invited me to apply for the Obama Foundation. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, cool. Oh, very good. And uh, Tim Rogers, frontman for rock band UMI, uh, who has a new memoir called Detours. Um, I'm a, a kids and teen author and uh, I wrote a book called Two Wolves and another one called The Fall and I sort of started out writing for, um, for you know, reluctant readers, inverted commas, and trying to, you know, series that were, you know, uh, d- distributed in schools but were to try and get boys excited about reading. And so, and I think that sort of followed through a lot of my books, even the sort of longer novels and the, the ones that are sort of more laden with ideas. I think there's that accessibility in the stories. This is a panel that I'm really excited about, um, about sharing. So I thought we might, um, we might sort of dive in and, uh, and find out what you guys read as kids. If you were readers, did you love reading, hate reading, and, and what kind of things did you, did you read? Uh, well, two definite book series that stand out in my mind from when I was a kid are Goosebumps. So that's that really short chapters, a bit scary, something mum probably wouldn't let me read if she knew what was in them because it's a bit spooky. Uh, and then after that, the Tomorrow When the War Began series. That was a really big one for me. And I was actually thinking about how significant that is because that's a female protagonist, which I think is something a lot of people think that young boys don't really pick up and read very easily. But I don't remember ever it being a problem no. that Ali was Ali, and I thought that was an interesting book. So those two books were really uh, formative for me. Interestingly, Divergent and Hunger Games both have a female protagonist yeah. too, so yeah, go figure. But yes, Selena. And interestingly enough, my 19-year-old bearded rugby league playing son has a female avatar on his uh, on Fortnite, that game that we all love. <laughs> um, I, I, my mum was a big Salvation Army shopper. And every time we went weekly, she'd give me 50 cents and I would just load up a cardboard box of books 
Um, so I was a really eclectic reader, but for sure Pam Ayres oh. gripped me mm. and also Spike Milligan. And Spike Milligan's um, Bad Jelly the Witch, I don't know how many of you read that, and he, he drew the text and he did his doodles and... Um, it's come back, you, you know, these seeds get sown and just two weeks ago I handed into my publisher a digital poetic memoir of my journey to become Poet Laureate and I've handwritten it with doodles and he loves it, I love it and hopefully kids will love it. Oh, good. Nice. That's good those influences from childhood are still having an effect on your work now. Do you feel like that too, Ben? Like, is there anything in, in To Become a Whale? Are there any threads of those sort of childhood um, reading influences? Any R.L. Stein references? <laughs> no, no, Jack Black references, no, unfortunately. <laughs> um, no, it definitely is something that I think, I think the idea of writing something that's exciting um, is something that I try to do with my work. If it's dealing with something that's a little bit more maybe mature, like a mature theme or something, still doing it in a way that's a real ease for the reader where they don't have to struggle to read the book. Mm. So I've read books and I've enjoyed books that are really weighty and that you pick up and it's just a real struggle and I almost read it just, just to endure and get to the end and say, I finished Moby Dick. Um, but I think, you know, I try to re write books that are exciting that still deal with weighty things. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And Tim, did you, what did you read as a kid? Were you keen? Uh, not a hell of a lot. Uh, the, I was surprised to um, think back on it and we had um, for a family that grew up in Kalgoorlie, Western Australia, uh, there was many um, biographies of Republican Party. Uh, there was um, G. Gordon Liddy and P.J. O'Rourke books, right. which uh, I don't quite understand where my dad's affection for the uh, Republican <laughs> Party of America comes from. But uh, no, my love of reading came around 16 or 17 and it was trying to uh, impress those that I was... I felt a romantic longing towards <laughs> it. Um, however you tumble into it, it, it ended at the um, 18 and doing a 10,000-word essay on uh, Ulysses by Joyce, right. um, oh, which I got a high distinction for and I reread Oh, really? Uh, Ulysses. Were, were, uh, were girls into Joyce back then? They were really, you know, they, I, I doubt the thing. Um, <laughs> I, I think at, at the end of it I thought that what I was daying to... Uh, to, that I needed to find a Molly Bloom, and um, I found her at 45. But okay, but no, there, there wasn't those books in there because I grew up uh, as a, as a um, in a sporting family. It was um, a sporting memoir, and no okay, so huh. not having that access to uh, to, to literature. Or, although we did have a great selection of Pam Ayres uh, books. Know. Yeah, yeah, I had a really good talk about Pam Ayres to um, Dr. John Cooper Clark, uh, the English poet, uh, on a radio show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Pam, I know she gets looked down a bit, but um, upon a bit, but no. Um, but not, a poet of here. the people, right? That's right. And she 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 taught me about rhythm and rhyme and and entertaining people with words. Mm -hmm. mm. Did and you not to go to the dentist ever? <laughs> <laughs> with people I like know. that, really? <laughs> <laughs> you haven't needed to. Um, it, you're, uh, having a dad who was a reader, even if it was um, different kind of stuff, that didn't that didn't sort of enthuse you. Like, did it was? No. It, would you see him sitting around the house um, reading a book or not? So no, much? no. I think they were there for um, to impress uh, uh, 
people that he had over from the States or, <laughs> or horrifying his children. But uh, my mother, uh, before the, the family fell apart, was an aspirant reader and she liked to talk about books even if we never had them there. Uh, and I think it was just a, a joy of, of um, having a lot of wine and furrowing your brow. <laughs> but now... Um, I'm just thankful for that, but now at this age that I am now 48 and at the age they are, and um, we talk about books now. And, uh, okay. and your partner now is a, is, a, is a major reader too. You both, you both right. devour books, yeah? Yeah, we, um, uh, the John Waters uh, adage, the American filmmaker John Waters, uh, as opposed to the handsome Australian actor, the, uh, <laughs> is um, if you take someone home and they don't have books, don't root them. <laughs> Which, uh, that was a, a quote written in lipstick on uh, my partner, the, the Hurricanes uh, wall. And uh, when I walked in there and saw that she had great bookshelves, that's not meant as a metaphor. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I thought, right. <laughs> this one. You were in. Well, well, in a manner of speaking. But the, oh, uh, sorry, yeah. Because we met later in life and uh, reading is what we have in common. And um, it, it makes the morning after a lot easier. <laughs> and do you think do you think that women and men, uh, or do you think you know girls and boys who are sort of starting out on their reading journey, do, do they do they read differently? Are they different as readers? And if so, how? Does anyone have any uh, insight into that? I was just thinking about hopefully the longevity of your relationship now, um, being based on on a love of reading because I I celebrate my 25th wedding anniversary this year and married my high school sweetheart and he does not read. He does not read at all. He's a rugby league player <laughs> and I have three sons who are just like their father. They don't read. Um, they're all rugby league players. One's just signed up for the Brisbane Broncos for their um, development squad nice. and um, it's... I, I kind of puzzled. I've only ever publicly said that my boys do not read and it's like shameful to be the New Zealand Poet Laureate and associate professor at a university department teaching English literature and my sons don't read. Mm. Um, and I just didn't know why I was here on this particular panel, but now I do. Um, <laughs> it's it's a common story, you know. Lots of librarians have, have kids who aren't readers. I have two sons, one who is a reader and one who loves stories but won't actively pick up a book sort of thing. And so I think, you know, it's I don't think just by having that... <clears throat> That sometimes it can turn the kid off almost if they're sur too surrounded by books. I was wondering it? about the, the, the foistering upon uh, with reading, and in, particularly in your situation, Selena. I was speaking to my daughter who's uh, 17, um, uh, lives in New York, but she's out here uh, just for a month. And I asked her this morning, darling, I'm on a, a panel talking about getting young boys to read, and, and uh, I wanted to ask her as a, as a young woman and aptitude towards reading, because I've sent her, you know, Here's Madame Bovary, here's Anna Karenina, here's, mm. this, um, here's the Dubliners. Uh, and she said, uh, Dad, what I prefer to read is something either that's scary or that feels naughty, that has a narrative, a very strong narrative, but she wants to know what happens next. But if it's got this uh, um, iconoclastic edges that, that will <laughs> interest her. And, and, and then I went on, well... Uh, Madame Bovary talked to this and, and their <laughs> eyes just went... <laughs> 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 
And so you think uh, sometimes re- reading can have a worthy edge, can't it? And I think that can sometimes turn boys off too, that if it's, that it's good for you, you know, that you're sort of supposed to do it. Uh, do you, Ben, what do you see in schools? You're, as well as being an author, you're, you're an English teacher. Yeah. Um, what, do you see that, that sense that when the teacher's really enthused about a book, can that make the boys run away uh, from yeah. it? Yeah. I actually tricked a whole bunch of kids into reading Animal Farm by saying they're talking pigs. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) They didn't last that long with that one. Um, No, actually, you know, what I find is that when I'm enthusiastic about a book is that young boys especially feel a little bit of um, validation in their own pursuit of reading as well. Because I'm a a bloke, you know, I'm a big bloke. I look like I play rugby. I don't. Um, You know, I've got a big beard. Like, I look like I'm a masculine bloke. And then I get up there and start to rant and rave about Lord of the Flies. And they're so good. And they cut the pig's head off. And and I talk about that it also talks about, you know, all those things about society and undercurrent of violence and that sort of thing. And if you can get up and actually inspire kids to read through your own energy with reading and your own love of reading... That's the biggest thing, I think, with getting boys to read is getting men to read. I think mm. that's the trick. I was wondering with um, last week uh, while on tour and I woke up thinking about Eric Cantona, the French and uh, uh, Manchester United um, number seven. Yeah. Uh, Eric Cantona, for those of you who don't know, is a, is a very verbose and um, quite an iconoclast himself, but he would quote uh, Flaubert or um, mm. Rousseau in interviews and you... Uh, yeah, but what about the strike? What about the strike? Um, I was thinking the uh, it never happened with uh, me really finding a sports person, and not necessarily, of course, suggesting that that young boys are interested in the sports. But it, when you meet someone that's um, literate and uh, generous with that literacy, mm. that isn't necessarily a teacher or. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I first read um, uh, Bulgakov through Mick Jagger. I mean, he suggested a book. And then if um, Morrissey would um, suggest a, a book, then I'd go for it because it wasn't a, a teacher or an author yeah. or a parent pressing it upon it. It was yeah. someone from a different field. Yeah. And Selena has a mission uh, on this on this front, don't you? A, a mission to, the, to tie in sports and, and reading. Absolutely. I Particularly just wanna, poetry. I just want to go back to Ben's point because I knew it was my husband's fault. <laughs> no, because the yeah, boys I, have yeah. never seen, don't see their father reading, no matter, like, you know, we've got wall-to-wall bookcases full of books that mum reads, but dad's either watching TV or on his laptop, you know, and he, he reads a few sporting biographies, but they haven't grown up with that, and I've thought... What else do I have to do? And then Ben said, oh, probably if they don't see their dad reading, yeah. they, it's, you know. Well, I think, I think a young boy is searching for what it means to be a man. And as they grow up, they sort of look at all these other men in the community and especially their father. And they look and see, like, this is what a man does. And it's just, I find it's rare and rarer, you know. I went down to the pub and had a few brewskis and then I got really in touch with my soul later in a book and it's not something that's very usual for a man to do and I think that's sad I think I was talking to a publisher just uh, this morning about this topic and they said that 80% of book buyers are women and what you said about this crowd as well like it's it's I think it's sad that men feel like they can't be introspective or or talk about big ideas or that it's 
something that only the upper class or the hoity-toity do. It's yeah. not for the upper class. It's for but, everybody. But more to the point, um, it is my husband's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Book, books don't need to be about big ideas, though. I mean, they don't need to be no. um, literary either. I mean, I, my um, stepfather was always reading sort of Leon Uris and Wilbur Smith and Frederick Forsyth and books that thick kind of thing, you know, um, you know, 17 international locations, you know, and that, that sort of got me into it. And he'd be sitting there reading, and yeah. I'd I'd go and sit there and, and read next to him, and so I it can be that you know. And I think it needs to be big ideas, but I think reading itself is an exercise in being quiet. It's an exercise in being focused. It's an exercise in going in inside your own mind. Like even if it's the most like my dad just read Louis L'Amour. He used to go through one page a night and then fall asleep because he can't read more than a page without dozing off. Um, so he's just reading exciting books, but he's internalising things. Mm. I think that's interesting. With the, the quiet I'm interested with you as a, as a teacher and mother of boys and, and uh, whether reading often gets um, talked about as a, as, a, as a balm or a salve and rather than it being this, this um, uh, flame to the touch paper that's going to set a thing yeah. flame, that I returned to reading at 37 was because um, my... Uh, anxiety disorder was coming back and it was suggested if you uh, get back into reading like I hadn't read a novel in 18 years mm. uh, and as a not not a cure but as a meditative state and um, I'm meeting more and more uh, young boys and, and um, young women who are and because I've written about um, anxiety uh, who are, feel that they can talk a little bit about it and it's like, come here. And I say, have you ever tried reading a, a, a fiction, non-fiction, poetry, whatever it takes you to, but it allows you just to, um, I'm not using medicinal terms, and I, I, I do beg your pardon, but want, just removing yourself almost from yourself and investing yourself in, in the narrative, in the mm. in characters. Yeah. And then, uh, woe be gone, half an hour later, you're... you're have come. It's one of the last. Uh, it's one of the last things that you can do, that is focused mind activity for an extended period of time. Like I don't, I don't know about you guys, but if I'm watching TV, I'm also on the phone, or I'll be talking, or you know, talking to my kids. And it's very rare nowadays. It's almost feels selfish, but it's it's not selfish. It's like a self care thing, where you just sit down for an hour and read a book. It feels yeah. It's, it's, it's sad that it's not something that more people do. I feel like that. I feel I was wondering, thinking about this topic, maybe we should start putting books into, like, the health food section at stores. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, that old quote that um, reading is for the mind, what exercise is for the body? And I think that's really true. And I think that if you started to couple it with sports and the health food industry and exercise and CrossFit and read a book or something while you're doing push-ups, I don't know. Or maybe in with the chocolate so that it felt like it was kind of, you know, something you shouldn't do. Oh, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, I'm going to get a Mars bar and Madame Bovary or something. Um, <laughs> something a little a little profligate. Uh, I remember um, with that reading to impress people, it was like, oh, this is, this is going to make me uh, handsomer and uh, <laughs> a little bit more dangerous with a, with a copy of... You know, nine stories by Salinger hanging out my back pocket, <laughs> and it did. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. 
Um, we were talking a bit before about sort of, not tricks, but ways, methods to enthuse. You know, you go in there and talk about Lord of the Flies and you're like, and they do this and then and you're, you know, sharing your enthusiasm. Or we have someone, you know, a sports person, uh, you know, perhaps getting enthused or a musician getting enthused. I know um, Isabel Carmody, well-known Aussie author, she was up at the Children's Book Council of Australia um, uh, sort of launch earlier this year in the announcement. And she was telling this, this um, a librarian came up to her and said, oh, I tried that thing that you said and it really worked. And she'd suggested that um, as the kids come into the library, she have an audio, a really exciting part of an audio book playing so that they sort of hear it as they come in and then they stop and they listen and they go, oh, what's that, miss? And she says, oh, I don't know, it's just something over there. And they go, no, it, sound, it sounds really good. What? You? And she says, I don't know, it's over on the thing, you know, and, then, and sort of just let them, and she said that she's actually, you know, been having some luck with it. Reverse psychology. Yeah, yeah. so I think, what other, what other things? Does anyone in the audience have any thoughts on think, tricks that have worked for you in, in sort of finding a, a backdoor into reading or getting your, getting your sons or, or, or grandsons uh, perhaps reading? Any thoughts out there? Yes. Yes, maybe here, just as the mic's closed. Thank you. Hello there. I have three boys. The older one is obsessed with reading. The other two, not interested at all. And I find over dinner to sort of show an interest in the older one, where are we with that book? And if it's the wimpy kid, what's happening next? And what's happening next? And trying to sort of show the excitement, because we've got the iPad problem, you know, that seems more interesting. So just trying to show that excitement between him and I, because they all are craving for my time, and then going to bed talking about it, the others then want to get involved. So they're not quite reading yet, but they're keen to know what's happening just to draw, draw that interest out of them. That's really interesting because with the 16-year-old, he will read, but only if I'm lying down in bed with him and I'm reading out loud. And I know he's like 16, right? And I lay, the other night I lay in bed with him and began reading and I said to him, um, do you have any clothes on? He's like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> That's him up the back. That's <laughs> but what I realised is that he really didn't give us stuff about the book. He just wanted me to be with him. Yeah. And so I'm writing this like completely guilt-ridden working mother's piece at the moment about that and that, mm. that craving for connection. Don't mention he's nude in the piece because... Oh, he I might did. not like it's it. Oh, part. did you? <laughs> <laughs> really? I just thought he might not appreciate it no. as much once it goes out, at, you know, on uh, in the national newspaper. If, if he's sixteen, you'll discover soon enough if he's naked. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, I think everyone likes to be read too, though. I think at, at any age, I mean, adults love to be read too, too, which is an interesting segue. Uh, I think. We have some potential readings here. I know Ben and Selena um, had some pieces that, that might be uh, related to the to the subject at hand. Yeah, uh, you can go. You go. Sorry. After no. You. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I won't read all the poem out, but it's interesting because I got my sons around the table um, um, a year ago, and I said, "What does Mummy have to do to get you to read a poem?" And they said, "Well, if you get Sonny Bill Williams to write a poem." will read it, you know, famous rugby league star. And um, Richie McCaw's biography had just come out, so Richie McCaw was ex-All Black captain. And I had bought it, and I had written in front of it for Davy, Micah and Javan, keep reading, it'll keep you strong, love, Richie McCaw. And I signed it. <laughs> and it, it didn't make one iota of a difference. They read half of chapter one, and then that was it. 
So I wrote this poem <laughs> called Warrior Poetry um, after the New Zealand Rugby League Warriors team. And I thought, you know, because they were saying nothing's relevant to us, I thought, well, here's a, here, here's a rugby league poem. So I'll just read you the first and the last verse. Putting together a poetry collection, boys, is like the NRL nines, Eden Park, 45,000 packed. You've got 90 pages of lines to work the eclectic crowd into some kind of synthesis some kind of wonderful, and then the final verse, then I, ex then I go in and talk about the crowd. You can read a little more. Read, can I? Read a little more, okay. yeah, I can say. But your poems are Len Brown twins arm in arm, yokeling up the stairs, Fred Flintstone and Wilma living in fluffy pigs' feet and ears, Vikings thundering with axes, tiny elves digging the seats, their spades are used to ward off purple flower potted peeps. But your poems are tigers slapping their tails over Shirley Temple's moko, doctors in white coats, stethoscopes shouting, everybody's loco. So I'm describing these people at this game and they're all wearing costumes. So I finish up with, um, and when your poems are transformers policing while cracking a woody, Gangsters throwing shade from under black hoodies. Zumba dancing bananas, front peels hanging down. Expose fruit signed by all around. Then you know, boys, putting together a poetry collection means sinking this kind of crowd. We're flicking the page like a Mexican wave has got to leave the reader wowed. Mm, cool. Well Yeah, they didn't like it. <laughs> they said, they said, Mum, that's not a poem about rugby league. We know you don't like rugby league. You don't even talk about rugby league. So they called me out. But I was pleased that they gave me a critical eye and ear, right? And then I made them do the dishes. <laughs> Um, so my reading is from the actual, the second chapter. So right at the start of the book, my, the mother has passed away. And so this is a little bit of a glimpse backward into uh, one of the best times in this family's life where everyone was together. And this all centres on reading, which is, this is straight, it's almost like I'm describing what happened when I was a, a small kid. This is the sort of setup we had for my family. The young father squatted down in front of his son's bookcase and looked over his shoulder as his son rushed in and clambered onto his back. With some effort, he managed to wrangle the boy around and hold him to his chest, so they were both facing the small selection of books before them. Which one tonight, mate? Rabbits, his son said, and pulled the book from the shelf. Read little Georgie. Where he jumps over, his voice shifted to menacing. Dead man's brook. His son beamed. Yeah. Dead man's brook. More menacing, tickling the boy beneath the arms, each word louder than the one before. His son laughed and squirmed. The boy's mother appeared at the doorway. What are you two up to? Dad's reading rabbits, the boy said, holding up the book. His father smiled. I sure am. Do you two want a Milo? His father's face widened in mock surprise. A Milo? Like he'd never heard of such a thing. His boy's face followed his. Yes, mummy, nodding theatrically. Yes, what, mummy? 
Yes, please. His mother, smiling, walked away. His father sat on the customary chair and patted his lap. The boy climbed up, struggling to hold the book while he did. His father read the story about a small rabbit brave enough to jump a stream chased by vicious dogs. He changed his voice to suit the characters. A higher pitch for the rabbits, a gruff timbre for the dog, which made his son laugh. Soon the boy was in bed upright, drinking the hot Milo brought in by his mother. She sat on the end of the bed. His father remained in the chair. I'll stop mm. there. Beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful. Do you, again, that, that, um, that reading, the reading within the reading, was not so much about the story as it was about the tickles and the Milo and the dad time and the, that whole family thing. So it's almost like, it's almost like boys need a purpose to read, you know, you did it for love, and uh, and and we were talking about the, you know, to, to do with a film. It ties in with a film, and it's uh, it's almost like if you can give a reason beyond just the act of reading. Um, if I go into a school, there's a lady uh, here whose school I visited uh, the other day, um, a churchy up in Brisbane, a boys' school, and you know, the boys after you go in there, and they all want to read the book, and they're excited, and they'll you know uh, buy the books and things, and. And, and, and I guess because they can relate it to an experience. And this guy came in and, and told us this story about this person who falls from this building and then the kid has to try to work out and the person who did the crime is, is coming after him. You know, so there's, there's something, I guess, beyond the book. I think it's, it's almost like the act of reading itself, if it's just about that, isn't quite enough for most kids or, or perhaps just boys, I don't know. Sure. Um, yeah, no, it's a good thought. I, I always go back to back to being like in, a, in the masculine character. I always go back to watching other men and how men interact. If I'm at school and I want the boys and the girls in my class to read, what I try to be is a good person. And I talk a lot about how books inform me. I talk about my relationship. You know, my, my son's middle names are Huckleberry and Atticus. Like I talk about To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> I talk about... Um, the big ideas I have and I let I hear their ideas and I talk with them and I respect them and I try to be a good person formed by what I've read and hopefully through that they can look at me and think oh I would like to be like this person in front of me mm. as a role model that's my idea yeah do, I, do either of you have any any thoughts on that front uh, um, being very enamored uh, well young with um flamboyant characters, men or women, uh, who had an air of bohemianism about them and that they seem to just... There are certain people, not just by the way that they overdress, but by uh, they seem to be having more fun than anyone else. <laughs> and um, if that little quizzical yeah. uh, smile on your face and um, and the hip flask in your pocket and uh, not necessarily, but... <laughs> And uh, that you know something, that, oh, hang on, they're, they're having a little more fun. And if it's to be seen in someone uh, holding a book in a cafe, reading, or a great school teacher, a mother who seems to be so alive to the world and, and being able to create like that, I don't know when, if there's an age when that kind of drops. I guess there's no age when it drops, whether it's your 16-year-old son or it happens at 24. Yeah. I think it, it, it very rarely seems to happen at 12 or 13-year-olds. Um, what, a, what a joy that would be. Um, but the, uh, taking the, the, the chore out of reading, I guess, which mm. is a school teacher's 
more to to see how much of a chore it is for for kids, boys or girls to read. Because as yeah. of course you know far better than I that for many it is a it's a chore. It's yeah. really hard. I was talking with um, Jesse Oliver on the Riders on the Road bus that we went on just recently to regional towns, and he's the Slam Poet Champion of Australia last year. Um, and he said that as he was growing up, he felt a deep type of shame because he was reading a little slower than all the other boys in, in his class and girls in his class. And so instead of, I mean, the reaction to that is just to or stuff it. I'm not yeah. going to bother trying. And then it just becomes to try to catch up to the, you know, they're all reading levels ahead. You're like you say, it's a, it's a chore. Like you're the person running around the track coming last. You're not going to run the wrong. race. Yeah. If you're wrong, because so much of reading in schools is linked to assessment. Yeah. And um, and my boys have just been put off by irrelevant curriculum. And mm. we, we, yeah, thank you. <laughs> and um, so he came back home with um, a poem by Wilfred Owen, who is an English-born British war poet, um, who has got his place, but really, 2018, you come home from the largest state school and boys state school in New Zealand with the highest Polynesian population of students, and you're bringing home this poet, and you don't get it. So anyway, we begin, we begin talking about this poem and showing, and I begin talking to him about the metaphor and how it might link back to his world, his life, and he wrote this beautiful essay with the help of the New Zealand Poet Laureate, and we got seven out of 20. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> he, he, so he came that back, teacher, he was like, oh, no. I said, how'd you do? How did we do? And he was like, uh, we didn't even get that. <laughs> and you're like, what? I wrote that thing. He goes, no, but he said, I told you to stick to the template, mum. Oh, really? Now, yeah, that's, that just, I mean, if we can move on to maybe talking about boys and writing, but that is something that just absolutely wounds children to put, uh, like, you get taught as a teacher to give them all these things, and it's with a good heart to scaffold to the nth degree. You've got this structure, you've got et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But to me, I've always taught, like, to create first, unbridled. Just create. Do something and have some fun. Mm. And then you can come in and sort of talk about shaping and moulding it and doing things later. But mm. I just I, I feel like creativity is not something that's encouraged enough in young Men, especially, I would say. But, you know, he wrote about... Um, Wil Wilfred um, sees a, a wounded soldier, mortally wounded soldier, and my son tied it to when he pulled up a fish bigger than he'd ever pulled up before on the rocks and killed it, and he just felt like, crap, I've just killed a living thing. It was no longer a fish, it was a living thing because it was really big and the guts were really big. And, and that got no marks because... The teacher's like, what? This oh, is really? A, this is a poem about war. Ah, you know, so... That seems very strange. Yeah, yeah. And that was the last poem he read. Ah. That sounds traumatic. That sounds really bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Did On behalf you of educators it, everywhere. Why <laughs> <laughs> the malevolent laughter? <laughs> <laughs> but do you think teachers also don't have time? Like, they've got so much stuff to jam in, you know, like... Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that it's difficult. I, 
especially maybe five years ago, I would go around and talk in schools about this Anything Goes book that my teacher gave. You know, I went to school in the or primary school in the 80s when there wasn't if, if scaffolding hadn't been invented yet kind of thing. And it was all just free writing and there was no there were no text types and you didn't even learn what a verb or a noun was from memory. Um, maybe I'd block that bit out. But um, <laughs> you just, you know, you just got to have fun with it. And that's sort of the fun that I try to carry through with me now. But now it's sort of... Uh, and, and then five years ago, it was it was all very rigid, and it feels like it's come off a little bit, and yeah. there's a little bit more space for for fluidity and flow and and free writing again. Yeah, and it's a shame that we try to. It's a shame that we can't reward creativity while still assessing academia. Mm-hmm. And not all kids are suited to academics. But like I was saying before, I think that reading is for the mind. Like exercise is for everybody as well, but not all of us exercise. I think. Reading is for the mind, and I think that uh, every kid should read, but not all of them are suited to academia, just for fun. Mm. I think it's good for the mind to focus on something and empathise with people who aren't you. That's the biggest thing to me that reading does. Mm. It's It's beyond vocab and, you know, sentence structure. It's actually teaching kids to empathise. And I think if we're not getting empathy into our culture as we grow up, we're just going to be a a bunch of yelling people who are super loud and not listening. And that bothers me. So I think that... Oh, hey, thank you. (laughs) So I think that if you don't have books in your life, you need to have some sort of supplement to get that empathy. And I think having good people around you can do that, but there's nothing quite like a book. Tim, can you talk a little bit about how you came to writing, if we're talking about free writing versus this sort of, you know, very structured approach? I mean, how did you first come to writing, if you weren't a reader necessarily as a kid? Uh, I came to writing uh, prose very late um, at the request of um, a woman who is now my agent uh, because although I wrote diaries and I've been writing songs for 30 years, um, I've just actually been thinking it's maybe a little spurious connection and I don't mean to be disrespectful but because I've been touring in a, in a rock and roll band and then other rock and roll bands for 30 years and it really is a perennial adolescence. And <laughs> speaking to um, my fellow adolescents and I'll say, oh, what are you reading? And um, so often I hear um, men and women music, touring musicians who say, oh, I don't read. And I think, but we've got all those t- aeroplanes to catch and yeah. all, those, all those buses um, to ride along in and, and uh, rather than... Um, checking your tweets, you know, let, let, let's read. But um, coming to it late and I doubted that I could do it in just not a diary entry kind of way, but it, it was um, chiselling away at it. It was like going back to school and learning how to do it, um, about structure, uh, about development. Um, I got part of the way there, but I only started at uh, 45 and I'm hoping it's something I can um, chisel away at and mould away at until I inevitably go and, and um, if nothing ever gets published again, that um, the, the process and, and the work that's involved is absolutely worthwhile. I mean, while it's um, frustrating and, and um, everyone here has got far greater example of writing, um, more experience in writing prose than I do, and songs, there's not a lot of discipline involved unless you want to hit. And um, I've proven again and again and again and again, I don't want to hit, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but with the, the writing of, um, of prose, it's exercise. As Ben said, it's just exercise for the brain. And, for, and mm. I, forgive me for saying this, but it is Byron Bay for your soul as well. I'm a yeah. better person after chiselling away at, yeah. and using that discipline. 
Mm. But songwriting, you, did you come to that early? Did you? Yeah. What age were you when you wrote, when you started writing lyrics? Uh, Sixteen. I don't think I wrote a, a good song, a lyrical song, until I was about twenty-seven. Um, and as we've been talking about, it, um, writing bad songs, ten years of bad songs, hundreds of bad songs, is absolutely worth it. I still do it now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, there's nothing <laughs> funny in that. Ninety-eight <laughs> percent uh, of uh, critics will agree, um, but it's it's getting it out there. It's being creative. Just yeah. the, this morning, yeah. waking up with a, um, a mild hangover, and um, while the girls were sleeping, and, and I worked on a song. I thought there's only one way out of this, and it was a gorgeous feeling, which um, mm. is something that we've got in common. And I'm sure a lot of us have got in common that that balm. And that um, it's it's better than flipping yoga. Um, getting things on the page and being able to do it with music um, is one a little lazy, and uh, two just a, a great exercise and, and hopefully wonderful for the brain. For sixteen-year-old boys, though, I think knowing that there's not a lot of great discipline to it, you know, if you can write a song or you can write a poem, be it a bad poem or a good one or a short story, that's just getting it down on the page, you know. There's great freedom in that. I think there's, I think rather than sort of feeling like, oh, I should be writing something more, I don't know, I, I think whatever you can get down in whatever form that feels good is, is a really in positive whatever thing, Whatever form is you know? a good one. And I've always uh, poo-pooed songwriting as being the lesser of, um, of the, the writing arts, but it, it was a gateway drug. Um, again, through maybe writing songs and then trying to write better songs and to write with efficiency and to write with a stronger voice and to write with rhythm and then you read poetry differently and you come along with great songwriters and, mm. and you maybe find the ones in a style of writing that you're attracted to. And uh, hopefully that, that blossoms into an appreciation of literature or non-fiction um, and it, it, I'm case in point, you know, wearing a linen suit at a writer's festival and a, <laughs> a hack songwriter. I think it's positive too that um, sometimes maybe we put too much pressure on kids. Oh my God, my kid's eight and they're not reading yet or my kid's 10 or oh, 16 or, you know, that you can come to reading or writing at any age. You started writing prose at 45 and it's like, well, why do we have to force them to do it at 12 necessarily if that's not, if it's not happening or at least not panic if it's not happening I, I guess we, want, we want them to see the joy of it and the relief of it, the, the relief from anxiety, the relief out of, of bad blues. Mm. Um, to, to find that, and we want that for our kids, and we want that for our um, nephews and, and strangers. You know, this this um, sort of procession of um, young kids with uh, anxiety and and and, and the blues, yep. and um, mm. you want that for them, that release and that relief that reading can bring. Yeah, if you, I mean, you guys, I'm sure every single person in this room has read a book and felt a connection with someone. And I think one of the biggest things with, with feeling a type of depression is that isolated feeling that you get where you feel like you're the only person in the entire world who cares about you. And I think that a book can show you that you're not alone. And I think that that, that can help as well, as well as focus the mind. It can go to just simple connection that there's other people in the world who have um, different problems, but maybe just, yeah, maybe there's just some sort of connection you make with an author. Yeah. Yeah. Um, are there I, any? Oh, sorry, go. Sorry. I was just going to say at the um, Marlborough Literary Festival, I asked an audience of about 200 mums, grandmothers, and great grandmothers, and I said, if you've got an idea that I haven't tried with my sons, you get a free <laughs> copy of my book. 
and all the hands <laughs> shot up, and I, I had I took great joy in going done it, done it, done it, forged it, done it, <laughs> you know. And then a great grandmother stood up at the back, and she said to me, um, "I hate to say this, but I think you're a bit of a nag." <laughs> And I think you should just chill out. Give them time. And so I threw the book at her. (laughs) She got it. And actually, you know, I I kind of got a bit self-reflexive and I thought, you know, I don't want to view my sons through a deficit lens as non-readers or, you know, reluctant readers. I just want to see them as my sons who, you know will hopefully one day get bitten. Because I I am citing passages to them all the time, you know, and the one that I've been doing this month is from Maya Angelou, who says, you know, a bird doesn't sing because it has the answer. A bird sings because it has a song. Mm. And then Davey said, but what if you're a Rottweiler? (laughs) 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 I like your sons more and more, I think. (laughs) There's a poem in that. Um, and can you keep on clapping for our panel? I think uh, it's been a really interesting conversation. Uh... I hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast. This session was recorded live as part of Byron Writers Festival 2018. You can find other recorded talks and discussions from the festival on our website, byronwritersfestival.com.